It's our opportunity, of course, on Resurrection Sunday to reflect upon the, that momentous moment in time when Jesus Christ broke up all of history. And that powerful statement, he is risen, he is risen indeed, of course, stands out in our minds and in our hearts and has transformed our lives. This morning, what I'd love for you to do is to take your Bible and join with me as we are turning to Matthew chapter 27, and we're going to be looking at verse 62 of this 27th chapter on into chapter 28 and verse 15. And what you're going to find here is that in many ways, this passage is bookended. It seems as though those that are opposed to Jesus Christ are going to find a way to try to thwart the disciples from what they assume will be simply removing the body from the tomb. And then at the end of this section, you will find that they're frustrated because the body has, in fact, been removed from the tomb. And now they've got to come up with a conspiracy theory as to how to be able to explain this to the population at large. But in the core, in the very vital center of all of this, you see God the Father at work raising the second member of the Trinity from the grave. I'd love to begin reading in Matthew chapter 27, verse 62. And I'm going to read into chapter 28. And here you will find that Matthew is sharing these words with you and with me that the next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said that while he was still alive, after three days I'll rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure till the third day lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he's risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. Don't you love what comes next? Pilate said to them, You have a God, God of soldiers. Go. Make it as secure as you can. People wasn't secure enough. And so they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. But now you go on to read in chapter 28 of verse 1 that now after the Sabbath toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for him, for fear of him, the gods trembled and they became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. And now the core of this and all of this. He is not 
here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him. You see? I've told you. And so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. Notice the combination of emotion. Ran to tell his disciples, and behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they'll see me. And while they were going, behold, some of the God went into the city, told the chief priests and all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night, stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we'll satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. And so they took the money, did as they were directed, and the story has been spread among the Jews to this day. <clears throat> Let's look to our Lord in prayer. So, Father, what we want to do now is to explore this passage of Scripture. Again, on this Resurrection Sunday, we're not interested in what a pastor has to say. We're interested in what the God of the universe has explained in his word to us. <clears throat> so, Father, what we're asking now that in a very powerful, poignant way, Warm these hearts, that you would engage these minds, that you would shape these wills. Again, our Father, we've come here on this Resurrection Sunday. See Jesus, him only. And we'll pray these things again now in, in Jesus' name. Amen. It's probably the classic story that best illustrates the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Some of us know it well. For you see, the Duke of Wellington had led England's forces against those of Napoleon. It's known as the Battle of Waterloo. We're talking 1815. People were gathered together in England out on the streets waiting to find out what the outcome was going to be. I remember on the streets of London processing this, where at Winchester Cathedral there was this semaphore that began to spell out the eagerly awaited message. But you see, there was this dense fog, typical, you see, of, of England. A dense fog began to settle down just as the words Wellington defeated were finished. 
And then the semaphore could no longer be seen. And there was a heavy-heartedness, we're told, throughout the landscape. It seemed as though Wellington's defeat spread throughout all of London, word of mouth. But before long, before long, the fog lifted, signaling the semaphore atop the cathedral, and then the entirety of the story became clear, visible. This time, it spelled out the complete message of the battle. Wellington defeated the enemy. Now, the Londoners had come to a premature conclusion with regard to what had taken place. And like so many people, they go so far as the grave of Jesus Christ and come to what we will call premature conclusions with regard to who Christ is, what Christ did, and what life is all about. But what you and I need is for the fog to be lifted and the entirety of the story to be unfolded in front of our own eyes and, uh, and within our own life experience. And that's what I want to do with you this morning. No premature conclusions. But rather, what I want to do is to draw three significant features that become clear once the fog of life is lifted and we have a better comprehension of the purpose and the meaning of what life is all about through the resurrected one, Jesus Christ. The first feature is found in this 27th chapter. I hope you have your Bibles open now. We're in verses 62 through 66. As you and I on this Resurrection Sunday, as we worship our Lord, I want you to begin by joining with me and reflect upon what we see here is the securing of Christ's tomb. Now, it's the next day you are told. I'm told in verse 62. Matthew tells us that is after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate. Now, you've got to remember at this point that Israel was occupied territory. It seems to always be occupied territory. What people fail to realize is how occupied it is with the glory of God. Well, the Romans have occupied the territory at this moment in history. They seem to have a sense of authority. But what you and I view as authority is what I will call lowercase authority. God has uppercase authority. So the chief priests, that's the religious authorities, and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate, that is the governmental authority, the representative of Rome, and they said, Sir, Sir, we remember how that imposter, notice how Jesus is getting labeled at this point. We remember how that imposter, Pastor said while he was still alive, after three days, I will arise. 
Now, you might remember that Jesus Christ himself had used the illusion referring back to the account of Jonah, the story of being three days in the belly of the fish. They're now taking that into account, these Jewish religious leaders. And so they've drawn forces together, and now the religious and the secular leadership what I will call lowercase authority, are trying to figure out a way to address the situation at hand. They're claiming that this so-called imposter said, while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. But I want you to see how a sense of insecurity is lurking beneath their sense of authority. Therefore, Order the tomb to be made secure until the third day. But now notice their assumptions at this point. And their assumptions are that there's this possibility that the disciples might go and steal him away and then tell the people he's risen from the dead. And then notice furthermore, what they're doing in terms of assumptions is that they are laying out two when they say the last fraud will be worse than the first. What is the first? Jesus Christ claimed to be Messiah, the Christ. The last, the claim of the disciples that he has been raised from the dead. They are very threatened, you see, by this three-day phenomenon But what God is about to do is to demonstrate that he has uppercase authority and they have at best lowercase authority. And we should never reverse them. View government as uppercase and God as lowercase. And so God breaks in. Lajos Oras understood that. He was once asked in an interview, what kept you going? He smiled. For you see, when he was protesting the communist regime back in the 1950s, he was incarcerated, he was imprisoned, he was arrested six years. (coughs) Strong, brilliant, handsome, stately. His eyes penetrated the crowd as the interviewers were leaning forward to find out what keeps a man going when all else seems to fail. And government seems to have the upper hand. They placed me in solitary confinement, he said. It was a tiny cell, maybe six feet by eight feet. No windows. Soundproofed. They hoped to break my resistance by isolating me from all sensory perceptions. Somebody raised a hand. So what kept you going? He raised his hand. He smiled. They thought I was alone. They were wrong. Because day in, day out, I would verbally express my thoughts with these words. Three days later, Every day, 
three days later. And I had this powerful sense of the risen Christ who was with me. And though I lacked the opportunity to be able to look out, I drew upon the one who resided from within. And I was able to prevail. He understood what's lowercase and what's uppercase. And he didn't reverse them. Never reversed them. Now you see, both the religious and the secular leaders have combined at this point, and they assume their lowercase authority is uppercase authority. Pilate, he looks at these individuals. You're up now to verse 65, aren't you? Keep your Bible open. Keep examining the phrases. Pilate said to them, you have a God. A God of soldiers. Now at this point, there's debate among commentators as to whether that's the Roman God or the Jewish temple God. And an argument could be made for both. In either case, what I want you to see at this point is that there's this extraordinary effort unfolding to make this tomb secure. And so he makes this statement that stands out in all history, a statement that grips your heart and my heart. Go. Make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure. How did they do that? Well, you see, you've got to make certain you've got both a stone and a seal, and a seal for the stone. And typically, the stone, when it came to the whole matter of sealing a tomb, was about, well, its weight was about that of a ton. Large, circular, set on edge, positioned in an inclining groove, just in front of the tomb's entrance, and after the body is placed in the cave for burial, the stone's released from the high end of the groove by the removal of the wedge or the stone. And then once free to move, gravity pulls it into place, you see. The guards would not even have to, at this point, move the stone. Instead, what they would do is to wrap a cord around the stone, and then there would be what's known as the official seal. It's the seal of the emperor, seal of Caesar, seal of the one who claims ultimate authority. And nobody's to tamper with the seal. But you see, God's about to tamper with the seal. Because God has uppercase authority, all they have is lowercase authority. Make it as sure as you can, he said. Christianity Today, May 5th, 1978. 
Eileen Lagia writes, there once was a spider who lived in a tree. The webs he wove were the strongest, the glossiest, the stickiest webs that a spider could ever construct. Bugs, beetles, ants, other insects found themselves caught quick-dried, stored away in his loaded larder. But one thing alone troubled his tranquil existence. Close to his tree ran a railroad track. And each morning, you see, when the train whooshed by, his whole house shuddered and shook. And sometimes he even lost a few of the tasty tidbits he'd intended for a treat, she writes. That's the last straw, he screamed one day. I'm going to put a stop to that train. Won't trouble me anymore. So that night he spun a long, glossy filament that rolled out and out and out and out, you see. And when the wind became strong and would puff as usual, he leaped into the air, went flying across the tracks to the tree on the other side. And now his evil plan began. Back and forth it went. From tree to tree he ran, weaving the strongest, the glossiest, the stickiest web any spider could construct. None had ever been so fine, none so strong, so tough, so utterly unbreakable. I'll seal it with a seal, he muttered as he glued it doubly fast. I'll get some of my friends to guard it as well. They'll make it as sure as they can. The next morning, he heard the sound of the train. It was the Lagos Express, and it was coming fast, awfully fast. Farah laughed the spider. What a wreck this will be, as the train kept coming, and the train kept coming, and the train kept coming. The train warned. and then broke through. As sure as you can, said Pilate. What we need to bear in mind at this point is that the disciples have scattered. They're practicing social distancing, you see. They're hiding in that upper room. They're trying to experience a way to be able to stay secured. But you and I know is that the basis for internal security is eternal security. It's found in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, who died on the cross and on the third day was raised from the dead. Go, make it as sure as you can, said Pilate. And they went and made this tomb secure. How? By number one, sealing the stone, and then number two, setting a guard, you see. How secure is it? Well, check out chapter 28, beginning with verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, Toward the dawn of the first day of the week, 
Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Behold, there was an earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Now, notice with me the cosmic forces that are involved with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We noted on Monday, Thursday evening, didn't we, that the cosmic realm was affected from 12 noon to 3 in the afternoon. Darkness pervaded the land. The veil of the temple was torn in two, not bottoms up, That would be signifying salvation by works. Top down. God's doing. Not man's doing. Access being provided. And as the veil of the temple was torn in two and access provided, now likewise the stone of this tomb, if you will, is about to be moved so that access will be provided and people will be able to discern the evidence at hand that there is a vacancy sign here. He's not dead. He's alive. I can almost hear the newsboys now. Behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, came, rolled back the stone, sat on it, Was that so that Jesus Christ could get up? No, it's so that people who needed to examine the evidence could get in. And that's the essence and the nature of the credibility of Christianity. God is so authentic in his ways, he's in essence saying to you and saying to me, check out the evidence at hand, first hand. And so his appearance, this angel, we are told, was like lightning, His clothing, well, notice the similes, the metaphors here, white as snow. And for fear of him, the gods trembled and became like dead men. At this point, I want you to see here that repeatedly we're dealing with this whole matter of fear. And perhaps in this era in which you and I live, there's this tremendous tension between the dynamic of fear and the dynamic of faith. But when you see that the veil of the temple has been torn in two, access provided, and you see that the stone of the tomb has been rolled away, access provided, what we see is double access in the death and now the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the two crucial features of this powerful three-day experience are wedded together by the idea of access. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you combine now the access of the veil being torn to temple matter, stone rolled away, tomb matter, bring it all together, and now this sense of access given to you brings a sense of accountability for you and for me. We are accountable for what we now know and the evidence that's at hand. So you look at this, you ponder this, 
you think about this. And as I typically do, at this point, I pose some questions on a Resurrection Sunday. Question. If Jesus remained dead, how can you explain the testimony of the disciples? I mean, you and I would have seen the tears in their eyes at the crucifixion. We thought he was a king. He died saying that God had forsaken him. We thought he would wear royal robes, but where is he now? And they're in hiding, you see, social distancing. How do you explain these disciples in the book of Acts who hit the ground running? Would they hit the ground running on the basis of a lie? Access produces accountability. Another question. If Jesus remained dead, how do you explain the faithfulness of the disciples to the testimony of the resurrection event in the face of their own deaths? Think about how the various apostles died. Would they be willing to die for a lie? That's a psychological contradiction. Third, if Jesus remained dead, why did 500 people say that they saw him alive? 1 Corinthians 15, verse 6 brings that out for you and me. Fourth, if Jesus remained dead, how can you explain the credibility of the witnesses? And fifth, if Jesus remained dead, how can you explain the inability of the first century skeptics to deal with the resurrection with an alternative explanation? Why, it just simply produced the body. But they didn't, because they couldn't. You see, access produces accountability. And what Jesus Christ's death and resurrection does for you and for me is that it offers us attestation that he is who he claimed to be, did what he set out to do, and therefore will do what he said he will do. You pull all that together, and now he gives credibility to the statement delivered to Nicodemus, you must be born again. You say, Gary, what do you mean by that? You come into this world physically alive, but spiritually dead. To say one is born again means that there is a second birth to be had. Bear in mind these principles. If you are born only once, you die twice, physically and eternity. But if you are born twice, you die only once, physically, but remain alive eternally. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives evidence then to the dynamic of eternal security. So the basis, even if you feel fearful or threatened today, the basis for internal security is eternal security. So if you're looking at matters of the future, bear this in mind and this principle. 
if the immediate future seems obscured, the ultimate future is secured. Let me say it again. If your immediate future seems obscured, the ultimate future is secured by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is how you address fear. So now notice the fear-faith tension here. You're up to verse 4 and into verse 5. For fear of him, the gods trembled and became like dead men. <coughs> but the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. And notice they don't, they don't address the gods of verse 4. They address the women in verse 5 in the matter of fear. Interesting. Why? Because the angel says, I know that you seek Jesus. Are you seeking Jesus? I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. And now that powerful statement. Do you see it jumping out of the pages? He is not here. For he has risen, as he said. Now, if the religious leaders opposed to Jesus Christ had one thing going for them, they were concerned with what he had said. But they were resisting what he had said. But now, notice what the angelic force is doing at this point as they minister to the wounded hearts of these ladies. He is risen, just as he said. God and tomb, standing there, looking at the door, pondering. If you have my PowerPoint, you're able to see the picture, access it. And you're looking there at that door, and it's reminding you of this very fact. And you cannot refute historical facts. And now what he does is that he offers availability to establish authenticity. This is what Christianity does. It offers availability of the evidence to establish the authenticity of the evidence. Come. See the place. Meanwhile, Pilate had been saying all along, make it as sure as you can. See the place where he, he lay. But you see, what God does at this point is that he gives both privilege to evidence and responsibility for evidence, then go and go quickly. Go quickly, tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he's going before you to Galilee, and there you'll see him. See, I've told you, as the visual and the verbal combine to meet the emotional needs of the individuals at this point of time, there is this story out of the Middle East. An African 
Muslim came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. In an interview, the individual was asked why and provided this response in the form of a parable, if you will. Suppose you were going down the road and suddenly the road forked into two directions and you simply didn't know which way to go. Well, at the fork, there were two men, one dead, one alive. Who would you ask with regard to which way to go? Now, what stands out about Christianity is that in comparison to all world religions, the founders of all the other religions, their graves are occupied. But with Jesus Christ, there's a vacancy sign here. And so what we want to understand how God is at work is that he's transforming. And so now the news is good news. And so they are told to go and share this with others. And so they departed. You're up to verse, you're up to verse 8. And they departed quickly from the tomb. But now I want you to see, this is human nature, still at work, and believers grapple with this, the tension still of, of the relationship between fear and faith. And so with fear and yet great joy, they ran to tell his disciples. This is so authentic. This is human emotions on full display. And so when your human emotions create tension, Maintain obedience to what God has said. Even though fear and joy were in collision with one another within the hearts, nonetheless they're obeying. They went, they told the disciples, and behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. Love it. Singular word. Interrupts their movement. It's almost as if he's saying, In case you needed some added evidence, Greetings. They came, took hold, took hold of his feet, worshipped him. And now once again, to deal with this whole matter of the fear factor, Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go, go and tell my brothers, go to Galilee, and there you'll see me. What have we said so far? Well, if you're following my PowerPoint, in verses 62 through 66 of the 27th chapter, the first feature dealt with the securing of Christ's tomb. Here in chapter 28, verses 1 through 10, the second feature, the reactions of Christ's followers. This is so real. So authentic. Here is the display, you see, of emotions on hand. And so they're grappling now, what do I do with what I'm experiencing, with what I'm feeling? But then I think of what I have read recently about Ravi Zacharias. I'm writing this from a cancer hospital in Texas. Two months ago, I was startled after back surgery to learn I had sarcoma form of cancer 
for which I'm currently undergoing treatment. I've had a healthy life blessed by God, so this came as a shock. I've always believed in the power of the message of Easter, but I believe it's so even more so now. It is the ultimate message of hope beyond hopes. In fact, it is the ultimate grounding of hope. Here, then, is a man who, despite what it is that he's experiencing in his immediate circumstances, is able to say, even though the immediate conditions make life seem obscured, the ultimate reality is that my life is secured. And so he was able then to link all this together by quoting from Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 55, O death, where is the sting? O grave, where is thy victory? And then went on to say, using cancer as an illusion at this point, sin is the rogue cancer cell within us. But the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus turned the tide in favor of God's created order. So let's celebrate this Easter with gladness of heart. Let's not look for life among death because the grave is not victorious. It is the ultimate reversal of the fall, the ultimate cure. We need Jesus, he would say. You're on then to the third of the three features. Your first feature you noticed the securing of Christ's tomb. The second feature found in chapter 28, 1 through 10, the reactions of Christ's followers. But now the third feature. Notice with me the effects and the efforts, in particular, of Christ's opponents. Watch carefully how their efforts begin to get outlined and linked together chapter 27, verses 62 through 66 with chapter 28, 11 through 15, Matthew's book ending now. While they're going, behold, some of the God went into the city, told the chief priests all that had taken place. You can imagine how they're feeling. All of a sudden, uppercase authority, God the Father, is broken into the lowercase authorities of the religious and secular leaders. God broken. Has God broken into your life? Interrupted your plans? He interrupted their plans. These are religious people whose plans are being interrupted by God. They're religious unbelievers. And so when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. Now, people, if they were asleep, how would they know that the disciples came and stole the body? Really not. Think about the logic of that one. But you see, the thing about opposition to God's word, God's will, God's ways, it's that it is illogical. It's as if lowercase authority is attempting to supersede uppercase authority, the sovereignty of God, the way God works. You see, what do you do with an empty tomb? 
Thomas Jefferson had to grapple with that. The U.S. Congress once issued a special edition of the Jeffersonian Bible, simple copy, all references to the supernatural eliminated. eliminated. Jefferson, in selecting, had confined himself solely to the moral teachings of Jesus. So the closing words of the Bible are, they laid, there laid they Jesus and rolled a great stone at the mouth of the sepulcher and departed. But didn't Jesus say, three days I'll be raised from the dead? What kind of moral teaching is that? But the resurrection is the validation of the claims of Jesus. So now notice the illogical effect unfolding in front of us. Tell people his disciples came by night, stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we'll satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. And so always in need of some added finances, they took the money, did as they were directed. As Matthew in his time period would note for you and note for me, this story has been circulated, spread among the Jews to this day. My mind goes back to that story from World War II when Goering, the head of Germany's Luftwaffe, was informed by General Gallen that some American fighter planes had been spotted flying over Germany Gallen argued with Goering by stating that's a true report. They've been shot down, but they've been here. And Goering now, reading from the excerpt, was obstinate. That is simply not true. It is impossible. And so Gallen challenged Goering to go to Aiken and see for himself the downed planes were there. Gehring then tried a more diplomatic approach, urging Gallen to admit he'd made a mistake. But Gallen would not budge, so Gehring ended the debate with these words, I officially assert that the American fighter planes did not reach Aiken. Gallen entered one last eyewitness objection, but sir, sir, they are there which we are told Gearing lost all self-control, standing up shouting, I herewith give you an official governmental order that they were not there. Do you understand? The American fighters were not there. And off he stalked. Never mind the evidence. Never mind the facts. Make it as sure as you can. But then three days later, as sure as you can, just wasn't sure enough. God broke in and revealed once again he has uppercase authority. He has final say. He is Lord of all. You're back to the streets of London. The fog. It's such that the semaphore gives you that sense of Wellington defeated. It is all that is known, all that is meant to be said, all that has taken place. And there's this disheartness throughout the land. 
But then the fog lifted, signifying and signaling the semaphore atop the cathedral. It became visible, and this time it spelled out the complete message of the battle. Wellington defeated the enemy. Don't draw premature conclusions with your beliefs, your assumptions, your life. When you say, sure as you can, look upward. God has final authority. Thanking you, Father, for this. Thanking you, Father, for the way in which you work. Thanking you, Father, for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thanking you that in many ways you even use opposition, trying to make it as secure as you can is a means by which that you can then demonstrate once and for all you are sovereign. Death is not. And so, Father, if there's anyone that's watching this live stream now that is spiritually curious, intellectually hungry, longing for what matters most in life, but a fog seems to have descended upon their life experience, they need to be able to see something more than defeat. Lift the fog. Lift the fog. Allow them to see the full message. Just as the veil was torn in two, access, time of death, the stone was rolled away from the tomb. Access, matters of resurrection. May they access you now, Father by putting faith and trust exclusively in Jesus Christ and him alone for salvation. And we'll give you all the praise. In Jesus' name.